This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. Welcome to the Carbon Connection Podcast. It's not too late to change the conversation about climate change from doom and gloom to a conversation about possibility. This podcast is a curated selection of episodes that we just had to share with you. The Carbon Connection is about the many dimensions of climate change and the conversations people are having across the globe. It's about hope, community, advocacy, science, and changing our future. Hi. This is Mary, a member of the Carbon Almanac Collective. This podcast that you're about to hear is a lively interview between Tanya from Talaterra and Susan Inches, the author of a book that helps us all, and I include myself here, see ourselves as advocates, gives us some basic tools and some personal stories to take our climate and environmental passion further. We're all advocates in, in Susan's mind. There's so many podcasts and info about climate, but few about how we can manifest positive change in practical ways. And Susan's wealth of experience from private and public organizations, small projects, to impressive legislative initiatives in her local area and nationally, help energize a topic that I might have shied away from. Listening to this interview on the way to a meeting with a city manager and a local climate group was encouraging. And Susan's emphasis on building trust and relationships in climate projects and also trust in oneself helped this particular discussion be more fruitful. I'm sure you'll find some takeaways to enhance your passion and your care for the planet. Enjoy. Hello, this is Melissa Fisher, and I'm part of the Carbon Almanac Network. I have always been interested in protecting the environment, and I've taken personal steps and actions to protect what I can. As part of working with the Carbon Almanac Network, I had an amazing light bulb moment when working with the team to get, connect topics to actions. Advocacy is a big piece of what's needed to connect those dots. But how do you do that? I really didn't have a clue how to do this except for signing an online petition that you might get through an email. This podcast is a great resource. It offers a place to start by figuring out what your earth story is and how you connect the issue that you want to turn into an action. Listen in for how to start advocating for change, raise your voice, raise awareness, and raise the opportunities to change the world. We all have a voice and collectively we can make a difference. We just have to start and advocating for change is a great way to do it. Welcome to Talaterra, a podcast about freelance educators working in natural resource fields and environmental education. Who are these educators? What do they do? Join me and let's find out together. This is your host, Tanya Marion.
Today, my guest is author, educator, and environmental advocate, Susan Inches. I spoke with Susan about her advocacy work and her new book, Advocating for the Environment, How to Gather Your Power and Take Action. Susan's book is a thorough resource for advocates and anyone working in the field of environmental education. During our conversation, Susan shares how she became an independent advocate. She talks about the difference between advocacy and direct action. And she talks about how to connect with decision makers. Let's join the conversation. Susan, thank you so much for being on the show today. I read your book, Advocating for the Environment. It is, it is how-to book doesn't do it justice. I mean, they can't call it a how-to book. It's how-to, it's consider this, it's be mindful of, it's let me help you with this. It's full of examples, and it's just really, really a wonderful resource. And so I'm very excited to be here to learn about your book and about um, your your career and how you came to write this book. So thank you so much for, for being on the show. If I may ask you to introduce yourself to listeners, please. Absolutely. Thank you, Tanya, for uh, putting me on to your show. It's great to be here. Uh, I'm coming to you from North Yarmouth, Maine. Uh, not everyone will probably know where that is, but it's a nice place in the country, northeastern uh, United States. And yes, so I've been uh, an advocate for the environment really most of my life. I mean, starting in high school when I was the president of the Ecology Club, um, which was really a lot of fun and we did some programs there. But I actually have been an advocate both uh, professionally and also as a community volunteer. And I also teach some advocacy courses in colleges. And that's how I got the idea to write the book, is that I love teaching, um, but I only have maybe 15 or 20 students at a time. And I thought to myself, you know, I'd really like to share all the things I've learned about how to be an effective advocate with more people. And so why not write it down? And so really, the book is all about what I've learned about advocacy, what works and what doesn't work, how to be effective, uh, and even how to start. If you've never even thought about advocating it's really not that hard at all, and I show you kind of where you can start, do something small, uh, and then maybe move to something larger. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's me. You just described me. And, and I, cons- I consider myself an advocate for the t- uh, freelance educators and for the people who work in communities and community-based educators. And uh, but I know that there is a more... I'll call it formal world out there, and I've never known how to enter it, really how to, and all that's involved, because there's, there's an element of this that I, that I keep feeling towards policy, but I don't know how all that works. And so uh, I've, this was a fantastic book and a really good resource. And I love the examples that you provide. Oh, my God, we'll talk about that later. But anyway, (laughs) yeah. Okay, so you've been an advocate, you said professionally, have you? And you also work independently. Correct. So, how does one become an independent advocate? And what, what, okay, I guess my question is what made you decide to do this? Was it a um, conscious decision or was it a reaction to an event? 
Oh, that's a great question. I think for me, I've always been interested in social change. Um, I'm pretty sensitive to what's going on in the news and um, what's happening to our environment. And so I've always wanted to figure out or know or work on how, how can we change this? I mean, we're basically destroying the earth and we're on a pathway that's not sustainable. And so my interest is in uh, what do we need to do uh, to change that? I, I really want to see a healthy future for both ourselves and our children and the next generations. So that's really what um, what motivated me. I had never had any background in advocacy. Nobody in my family had done this, but I did have a sense that I wanted to be in communications. And so advocacy is a form of that. So that's how I kind of got involved. What were you doing when you decided to start doing this on your own? Well, interestingly, I started my career in marketing. And um, so and that's a communications function, right? I did marketing for a supermarket chain. I was hired into the state to do marketing of Maine seafood. And what I saw when I was doing that work was how active the fishermen were. Um, I mean, they just thought they could call the governor and ask for a meeting and get one. They thought they could testify in front of the legislature, and they did. And these were just, you know, regular people. They had um, very few of them had college degrees. They just were fishermen who cared about fishing, obviously, and the, the state of the resource that they're working with. So I observed that and thought, wow, if they could do that. I could probably do that. So that's a little bit about how I got uh, engaged in advocacy work. And and what was that? What was your first project then, as an independent advocate? Was it an extension of what the the main project with the fishermen, or was it something else? Well, it's interesting. So advocacy is all about what you care about most deeply. So I've gotten involved in actually many issues over a long period of time. But, uh, for example, um, you know, right now I'm engaged in an issue which is called the Green Amendment. And what that would do is it would add the, the right to clean air, clean water, and a healthy environment to our state constitution. Now, what's really attractive about that is that's a very high-level um, change. And if we could make that change, it would give citizens everywhere um, tool they can use. So if there's a a dangerous project being permitted or uh, some kind of toxic waste or something like that, this having con constitutionally guaranteed rights to a clean environment gives citizens a tool to fight back. Right now, the power is sort of on the side of corporations, um, and they tend to get what they want. And so this particular issue I'm working on, uh, the Green Amendment, um, and in Maine it's called the Pine Tree Amendment, but it's the same thing, Adding environmental rights to the Constitution gives citizens a tool they can work with to, to guarantee us a safe and healthy environment. So that's an example of one of the uh, issues I'm working on as a freelance person now that I really care about. I mean, it is worth it to me to spend time on this because if we can put this in place, uh, it would make a difference for a lot of people. Um, and I should say that there are 13 states right now uh, working on a similar initiative. Um, and I think it's it's really important. Uh, we need to we need to go in this direction. How do you uh, present yourself as a professional advocate? I mean, as an independent professional freelance advocate, and and how do you get people to trust you and start that partnership building? 
Oh, that's such a great question. I mean, starting with, um, you know, after my name, I always put author, educator, environmental advocate, because those are the that encompasses everything I'm doing, author, educator, environmental advocate. But the other piece of your question is really an important one, because, you know, good advocacy, at least to my experience and the way I do it, is about building relationships. And you need to build relationships with um, decision makers, whether that's a city council or uh, a town uh, town council or a state legislature. It's about building relationships with those people who are making decisions. It's also about building relationships with people who support your point of view. And wherever possible, it's about building relationships with people who oppose your point of view. And basically, by building relationships and getting to know people and getting to know where they're coming from, that's how you can cut through um, sort of all the politics and all of the media and get to the heart of the issue and say, what do we need to do to move this forward? So that's a really critical piece. And in my book, I talk a lot about that, about how do you how do you build relationships with decision makers and even relationships with um, media? It's important to have journalists that are also there to support you. So all about um, relationship building. What I like about your book and your approach to advocacy is you're very, you're very human and grounded and um, very personable and patient. And there isn't anything, nothing in your book comes across as being pushy, harsh, manipulative. You know, that is, that is definitely not what you're talking about. It's not your style. And so here's an example of the very mindful approach that you describe here. You, in your book, you say to consider the impacts on your six stakeholder groups, your customers, employees, vendors, community, stakeholders, and the natural environment. And I thought that that was a very important and to to identify them and to also think about the environment. And you tell the story about um, L.L. Bean and how they considered all of these different groups. And it was a beautiful uh, example. That's something that you know now, but how did you come to learn that there were that many people to consider, that many groups to consider? Well, you know, that's a, a great question, too, because my book is based on a vision I have, uh, a vision for um, a world where all life is revered and respected and nurtured. And so the way I go about advocacy is the same way, um, that I want to, you know, respect, nurture and revere everything, every part of life. So it kind of, it's in a way, it's just, it's based on what I consider kind of my faith and my spiritual values around that. Now, there are advocates out there who are... Um, difficult, uh, who may um, not tell the truth. I mean, that's, that's a reality in our world. But I want a different world. And it's that idea of being the world the way you want the world to be. But the other really interesting thing is I've always done that. I've always, you know, acted um, based on my values. Turns out that it really works. That I've actually been able to move issues forward, get legislation passed, um, get things to happen because I have been so respectful of others and given them the space and time to talk about their point of view and figured out, is there a way we can create a bridge between, you know, your view and my view and have that work? So so I, it's not only just because I value this, but it's because I found this is what actually works. 
Um, so, and, and the, the, what you were talking about there with the six stakeholder groups, that's a little bit about a way of doing business that is similar where you take into consideration the effect of business decisions on all the different stakeholders, including the earth, including the community in which the business operates, uh, including the suppliers, including the customers, including the employees, um, and again, that's a way of working that creates a world that is uh, healthy and peaceful and, and respects the environment. So um, this is true in all sectors. And I think, you know, where we need to go is to have more. I mean, some great businesses like L.L. Bean that are pursuing these values. There are advocacy groups that are. There are nonprofits that are. But where we need to go is to have this become the norm. Um, rather than, you know, seeing what you can get away with, uh, rather than putting uh, profits ahead of people, profits ahead of the community, profits ahead of the environment, um, to consider all of those things in the way that you do business and in the way that you do government. So I'm hopeful that we can actually get there where we have a critical mass. We have right now some great examples, and I tell stories in the book about some great examples of where things have gone really well. And do we just need more of that? And we need more people that are working uh, from that place. Yeah. Would you mind sharing one of the examples of something that's going really well, where you've seen fantastic partnership building, fantastic relationships uh, that have come out of uh, a a really a a compromise is really is what it, co- it comes down to. It's it's a compromise, but it is a way of everything that you describe in here is really is there's tension in the beginning, and then there's understanding, and then there's compromise, and it comes out of the understanding, but then there's respect. That also that in the examples that you've shared that comes out of this whole long relationship building process. Yeah, that's right. And um, I, I could say that we just finished in Maine a legislative session um, that had many successes in it. There was a sense of um, nego- it's you know advocacy is always about negotiation, but um, there was a really sense of nego- good sense of negotiating in good faith. Um, and we were able to pass some landmark legislation. For example, um, we passed a bill that requires the state to divest its funds from fossil fuels. Uh, that was big. We passed another bill, which is called Extended Producer Responsibility. What that calls for is that the um, producers of plastic packaging have to pay a fee that will cover the cost of recycling it. And, um, you know, this is where we need to go, right? I mean, we can't just keep filling up the ocean uh, and the land with more plastic. So we've uh, created a system that will begin to turn that around. And to get that passed, um, we had bipartisan support. Um, so that th- these are just some of the examples where um, people are like listening to each other. Um, another one that I'm working on, it's really interesting, is we're trying to take back our electric utility right now where I live. And so right now it's owned by a foreign company and uh, there are a number of problems with it. The service, the reliability has not been good. And so we've actually attracted bipartisan support for it because, um, you know, while some people are saying we shouldn't tamper with an ongoing business, which the utility is, other 
conservatives have been saying, you know, actually, we want to bring this back home. Um, we want to have local control. So, um, and, and that's the angle we've been able to work on uh, with more conservative people to get their support. Is that, well, this is about bringing our electric utility back home so that people from my state are actually on the board of directors and running it as opposed to people in a foreign country who um, don't seem to be really able to listen to what our needs are. So there have been many examples where this kind of thinking has applied and has uh, turned into successful uh, forward movement uh, on issues. On your website, you also identify yourself as being a lobbyist. Do you see a difference between being uh, an advocate and a, a lobbyist. It seems to me that they require different hats to some extent. Are there really different hats or are, are those words really interchangeable, do you think? So that's a good question too. And so um, I should just clarify that right now I'm volunteer lobbyist. I was a professional lobbyist uh, in the past. Um, And I think that word lobbying actually is somewhat intimidating uh, to people, but it doesn't need to be. Um, And there are many, many, many ways to advocate. I mean, you can advocate if you're an artist by creating art that is about uh, what you care about. You can advocate if you're somebody who likes to cook or you run a restaurant by using organic ingredients and explaining why that's important to you. Um, But the other point I want to make here is that some people confuse direct action with advocacy. So direct action is when you are trying to raise awareness of an issue. You might be marching in the street. You might be demonstrating. um, You might be creating a direct action event where people are arrested for obstructing something. Um, And direct action is really important to do, especially if there's um, an issue that's not getting any attention uh, at all. I mean, decision makers either don't know about it, they don't care about it, whatever. So you use direct action to get uh, gain attention through the media. Um, but that's not advocacy, really. That's direct action. Advocacy is when you are trying to get decision makers to do what you want them to do. And it takes a different set of skills to, to do this kind of advocacy. That's where the relationship building comes in. So you know, direct action, they might be yelling or they might be chanting or they might be singing or they might even be doing something illegal. It's more of a um, an act of rebelliousness against uh, the status quo, whereas advocacy is more about building a bridge with um, decision makers and trying to create a pathway forward. Um, so it's much more about that relationship building and um, negotiation and communication with decision makers. So that's, you know, people are confused because it's just, you know, those are two different things. They work together. Um, You need both. Um, Sometimes if you can't get anywhere, uh, you know, with advocacy, then it's time to do some direct action. It's time to have a sit-in on the city city hall steps. You know, if you can't get the city council to take up your issue and you've been trying to do that and you've been reaching out to the decision makers and you've been saying we need to get on the agenda – but nothing's happening, then you might want to take up some direct action to kind of put a little more pressure on them. Uh, So they're just sort of two different things, um, and different people take different roles in these activities. So I'll I'll leave it there, and we can talk more about this if you like. Um, Yeah, how you've mentioned in your book about reaching out to 
to reaching out to representatives and mm -hmm. other uh, decision makers. When you first reach out to a decision maker, who do you have? Who do you um, meet first? I mean, who who do you have contact with first? Is it their email inbox? Is it an answering machine? Is it an assistant? Is it how many steps are you away from making contact with a with the decision maker? Yeah, so it depends a little bit on, you know, who the decision maker is, you know, and, the, and one of the things I do talk about in the book is um, to choose where you want to take action. In other words, you could take action at your neighborhood level, or your town, or your city, or your state. And one of the things to think about in making that choice of who you want to reach out to is how close are you in the sense of degrees of separation? In other words, do you know anybody who knows them? Um, how accessible are they? I mean, if it's if you live in a small town, then you can just call your uh, town select person or town council person on the phone. Um, you should be able to get the number at the town hall. So that's pretty easy. But if it's Congress, then, of course, you need to go through the con congressional office, talk to their staff, uh, explain to them why you need to um, have a meeting or, or, you know, some communication with your congressperson. So it kind of depends on, on where it is. Uh, but the thing to remember there is that all of these people are public servants. They're there to work for you. So you should have no problem in saying, you know, that, that their job is to hear me. And the other thing about that that's really important is that citizens need to be heard. Um, there's plenty of paid lobbyists um, that are contacting decision makers, you know, all day long. And if the citizen voice isn't there, isn't represented, then decisions are going to get made that may be a negatively impacting citizens. They haven't heard the citizen side of this. I mean, why should we not have uh, fracking uh, in our town? Well, uh, citizens need to speak, speak up and say why. Uh, otherwise, uh, you might just find that there's a drilling rig, you know, in your town. So I think, you know, the citizen voice, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is for people to take action. And that one of the problems we have right now is not enough citizens are taking action. And so decisions are getting made that are not in the best interest of um, citizens or the earth. So that's why it's, it's critically important uh, to, to reach out. Um, and the other thing I say is that um, it doesn't take much. Only five or 10 phone calls uh, to a state legislator can actually move them on an issue. It's amazing. They just, you'd be surprised. They don't hear from people very much and they need to hear from people. And if you make the effort uh, to reach out, it, it can be really impactful. Uh, the other thing I'll say is that, you know, what form to take, I mean, it's fine to email or to, you know, but it's even better to write a either a handwritten or a typed note and mail it snail mail because what can happen is that decision makers just get flooded with uh, emails in particular, especially if they're groups of people that are sending mass emails. You know, they're getting like 350 emails from a group that's trying to uh, move an issue forward. So they're not they they'll, they might miss yours, and if they get an individual either handwritten or type note mailed to their house. I mean, that is really impactful. That shows that you really care. And all and, and it doesn't have to be, you know, formal at all. In fact, it's much better if it just tells your story. I'm writing to you because I care about this issue. Um, I'm writing to you because 
my daughter is autistic and she needs special services and we haven't been able to get them. I mean, that is what cuts through is like somebody's individual story. Um, and, you know, saying that in very personal way, um, that can move uh, an issue forward. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah, because we... All the listeners uh, belong to different types of associations, national groups and all that. And there's an advocacy unit in in these groups. And uh, so then usually what members receive is a, is a sample template to customize if you want to customize. But it seems to, I don't know how many people send those forward or how many are actually customized. Do you have a sense of how many of those types of uh, letters that start out as a form letter actually do get customized and are received? I guess the answer is not enough. No. <laughs> um, I think that, um, you know, decision makers get pretty frustrated when they get these massive emails. It's much better to to customize it, uh, to write, you know, and, and really the, all the content is, is who are you and why do you care about this? That's all you have to say. You know, I am so-and-so, I care about, um, you know, uh, pesticides because I see the bees are dying, you know, whatever it is. I mean, why, why should you care? And so that it's not that hard, uh, to, to write a letter. It could be two sentences. Who am I and why do I care? That's so much better than a mass email. Now, mass emails can be, you know, useful when you're really short on time. You want to just kind of weigh in. I'm not discouraging people from doing that, but I'm just saying that it's way more powerful if it's a message from you, from your heart. And so you have a section in your book about earth stories mm-hmm. and why they matter, how to tell them, and um, the opening paragraph to the section, Why Earth Stories Matter, I have highlighted, because uh, that really resonated with me. Can you talk a little bit about earth stories? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked me that, because... Basically, people's stories of connection to the earth is where their power comes from. So everybody, just about everybody, has some story about how they connect to the earth, whether it was a place they went on vacation or a camp they attended as a child or maybe just um, a particular tree in their neighborhood that they really felt like, you know, that was their tree. So those stories that connect us to the earth is where our power as advocates actually comes from. And so one of the things I do in my class at the very beginning is we try to identify what people's individual earth stories are uh, and where they came from. And some of these stories are about, you know, a love for a place. Some of them are about loss. So it can be that you used to fish in a, a pond and really enjoyed that. And then the pond became too polluted and there weren't fish anymore. So sometimes it's stories about loss, sometimes about love. But either way, there's a ton of power in those stories. And that's what, um, it grounds you as an advocate. And then the other thing about stories is that some stories are directly related to an issue that you might care about. So, you know, the story might be, um, well, there was one in Maine where a fellow was a farmer, he was a dairy farmer and his farm had been in the dairying industry for, for like six generations, 300 years. And he had been spreading sewage sludge on his fields as a fertilizer. And it turned out there was a toxic chemical in the fertilizer. And he ultimately ended up 
losing his farm, losing his cows, uh, losing his livelihood, and has this toxic chemical in his bloodstream because it was in his well water. And he didn't know this was happening. It was just he was thought it was doing a good thing to recycle this sludge and put it on his fields, and it turned out to ruin everything. Well, he was a really courageous person, uh, kind of a regular farmer type person, and he went to the state legislature and told this story of how this happened to his farm. And that actually resulted in um, the state legislature banning PFAS, which is a whole category of toxic chemicals that are found in this sludge. So our stories are really good for grounding us. And sometimes they can actually be the story that moves an issue forward. And in that case of the farmer, that's what happened. So that's why Earth stories are so important. Um, They're really the basis of uh, citizen advocacy. And without them, all you have is the corporate lobbyists. So that's why it's so important. You know, if we didn't have the farmer telling his story, we would have more of this chemical. Now we're banning it in Maine because of um, his story. So I'm really glad you asked about that because it's really identifying your own story that grounds you and then using uh, stories that are applicable to, to uh, issues is also really important. Yes, absolutely. And there are many different ways to really realize what your earth story is because I, I think a lot of people just move through day to day and they don't really recognize or think about it in that way. Yeah, and yeah, it's so really, really important to, to, to touch your own story, um, and often if you can, yeah. Your book was just published, uh, oh, a couple of weeks ago now, mm-hmm. and um, it is very timely. I mean, it is very, very current. I mean, real time. The turnaround for this book must have been, I don't know, fast <laughs> can you ex- can you explain the um how, the process of writing this book because it is so applicable to everything yeah so um i have to say that covid actually helped me write this book um i had been very busy teaching consulting uh doing volunteer advocacy work um and then around march of 2020 most of that activity sort of died down uh, as COVID came and we weren't sure what to do and we were basically isolating ourselves at home. And I had this, I I had the idea for the book um, because of the teaching I'd done. It was based on my courses, but I hadn't really had the time to focus on it fully. And so when COVID came along, it, it really gave me the chance to just write every single day, which is what I did. I had to turn this around. Well, and I wanted to turn it around quickly because I thought to myself, once we emerge from this pandemic, we're really going to need to take action on the environment. And and we're seeing that. I mean, with the fires, um, you know, the storms, the droughts, the floods, um, there's no time to waste here. In fact, one of the things that I use as an example in some of my talks is that uh, on Earth Day 1970, there were um, 20 million people turned out for that. That was 10% of the U.S. population at the time. 2019, we had the climate strikes. About maybe in the U.S., 4 million people showed up for that. And that was only like almost 2% of our population. So we need a lot more activism if we're going to turn around our climate issue. It's, it's the, it, you know, it's just, there's no way around that. We need everybody to speak up in whatever way that they can. Uh, even if it's just, you know, on an issue in your town, um, you know, you don't want pesticides sprayed on the playground. You know, I, I mean, everyone needs to take some kind of a, a position because 
we, we need that in order to create the healthy future that I can see. Um, and we can have a healthy future, but we have to all work towards it together to make it happen. Big business gets a lot of attention in environmental advocacy. What works in forming relationships with those, with those parties and what doesn't work? If someone has, if a listener has something going on that they're observing and they want to start having a conversation, how might they start that doesn't um, put up the defenses of, of the businesses in their area? Well, absolutely, we need more advocacy with businesses. They're a little bit trickier to deal with because, for one thing, you don't always know where the decisions are actually made. So, for example, in, in Maine, um, we have a company called Central Maine Power. They provide our electricity, but they're actually owned by another company called Avangrid, which is based in Connecticut. And then that company is owned by another company called Iberdrola, which is located in Spain. So the question is, you know, if you want, if you want the electric utility to buy more solar power, where do you go to tell them that's what you want, right? I mean, it's hard to know where the decision's being made. It's a bit opaque. Um, you know, in government, you sort of know where the decision's being made. So it's a little easier. In business, you don't always know that. So, um, so therefore, you need to do research. Um, you need to um, perhaps find people who work there and speak with them uh, to get a sense of that. And you also need to, if possible, have a stake in the issue. So if you're a ratepayer, going back to the electric utility example, then you have a stake in that. You have a say uh, in that. And there are a couple of ways to get, you know, to, to approach that business. I mean, one is directly, you know, go to their office. You might do a protest in their office. But there are also regulators you can talk to, which are government uh, entities. Um, so that's another way. And so it's all about strategy and research there. It's like, okay, what is the best way to approach this uh, particular company? I want them to, to buy more solar power and I want them to stop, uh, you know, uh, using as much fossil fuels, perhaps. Okay, so how's my best way of getting that message across and, and maybe inviting some dialogue around it? So you really, it, that requires a little bit more in-depth research to figure out how you're going to approach that issue. The other, the other partner you can have is the media. Um, so getting to know journalists and, you know, going to meet with them. Um, and, and, you know, um, journalists will meet with you, right? So you can meet with the editorial board. You can meet with individual journalists. They don't have a lot of time, but if you have a worthy idea to share with your, a journalist, um, that's a great way to advocate, actually, because they need content and they need ideas and you can help provide that. So there are a few ways, but businesses are a little bit trickier because you don't quite know where the decisions are being made or who's making them um, without digging down into that. Yeah. And I would assume, I'm guessing most more often than not, you're speaking with someone who is, can only relay the message and how, and how that message is relayed or if it's relayed after you speak with them is beyond your control. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's nothing to say you can't write a letter, though, to uh, a CEO or a top executive, particularly if there's an issue around what their service or product, how that might have affected you in some way. Like, um, you know, let's say that, um, oh, I don't know, that there's a, a chemical product that has, you know, polluted the 
you know, the lake in your town or something like that, um, a, a direct letter um, and, and even, um, you know, suggesting that you're going to share this story with the media, that, that can actually have an influence. You make it easy for people to become an advocate. Your book has so many really thoughtful and thorough examples and you walk readers through how to frame a situation, provide a lot of examples, you provide checklists, you provide guidance on how to work with the media and, and the public, uh, you, you cover press releases, testimonies, you give all sorts of examples. It's, it's really something. And sample documents at the back of the book I mean, it, it just goes on and on. I mean, it's really a wealth of information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. For me, uh, personally, I, I thank you for that, for this. I mean, there's a lot in this book. Did you mm-hmm. start to, this, is this a project that just grew and grew and grew, or did you know that you were going to put this much and this many tools into this book? It did grow and grow and grow. I mean, I knew that there were a lot of tools, and I also knew that... Um, there's dozens, hundreds of books about climate change, about environmental issues, and almost nothing on what an ordinary citizen can do about it. I mean, I really felt like there's this huge gap, right? Nobody knows what to do. They all want to do something and they all care and they feel overwhelmed. But what are, what are some actions from, from very small to more organized? What, what things can citizens actually do? And so I, I did set out to write a guidebook about that because I felt that it was missing. It's just not available. And um, and I also tried to make it really easy to um, pick out sections in it um, that are particularly of interest to you. Like, you know, maybe you do want to work with the media. So there's a chapter on that. Or maybe that's not even interesting to you. So you don't have to read that chapter, right? So it's, it's really a guidebook in that sense that you can um, go to the parts that are uh, meaningful to you and keep the book on your shelf. And maybe a year from now, you want to look up something else. So, um, so I really felt that that the need for a guidebook was there. And I, I, the publisher agreed with me, right? So that's how I, I pitched the publisher. I said, you know, we've got plenty about what's wrong. We have nothing much at all about what citizens um, can do and how we can make this right. Um, and because I include in there a vision on where we can go um, and how we can think about this as well as things we can do. So there is a lot there. And I told lots of stories based on my experience, um, which kind of make it all human. You know, like this is, you know, advocacy in a way it's an art. Um, no two situations are the same. So we we learn. I'm still learning about it. You know, there's there's things always to learn about it. So and I've shared a lot of the lessons that I learned over the years. And I always say that. You know, this is the book I wished I'd had when I started out as a novice advocate. You know, there was nobody explaining all this stuff. So I thought, you know, this, this, maybe this could help some people. So anyway, that's, that's how I ended up with this rather full guidebook of all sorts of different things. Yes. And as I, as I keep saying, I absolutely appreciate it because I read this book. I'm going, oh, look, oh, look, you know, oh, that's so, that's so human or, Oh, that's a that's a good thing to consider. I've got notes all over the margins. It's like, oh, <laughs> you could write it like this. Oh, is that what that looks like? You know, or yeah. you know, a testimony thing and and all that. And so, oh, look, yeah, it is. It is really a wonderful resource. Well, and, I think a lot of people are intimidated. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. by advocacy. And so I was trying to take that away too and say, look, this is just for regular people. You know, you don't have to be perfect, you know, just try this and, and, and this should help, you know, help you. So yeah, it's, it's really about bringing it down to a level where anybody can do this. You've done so much and you do so much on your website. You teach and are you going to go back to teaching? Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I do enjoy, especially, you know, college students are so eager to learn and, and so I really enjoy doing that. And so I, I will be continuing to do that. I, I teach basically part-time. I have one course, basically, in advocacy that I offer at different schools. And um, in fact, I even wouldn't mind having some new schools uh, to do, you know, teach at. And I think also uh, high school. I've been teaching mostly undergraduate, but um, this is a appropriate skill set for, um, you know, juniors and seniors in high school as well. So I imagine I'll be doing workshops um, I mean, I could teach a full course, you know, for three credit hours, and I have that. Um, I've done that, but I can also just come in and do a workshop um, to give people a sense of, um, you know, this is what advocacy is about. So there are lots of ways that I can teach, and I, I really do want to continue that. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm sure civics teachers, social studies teachers, mm-hmm. environmental science. I mean, I mean, really, you know, any of the of the disciplines would love to learn from you. I. I I think it would be fantastic if they had the opportunity to learn from you and students, especially, especially high school students. Yeah. Well, the other thing about it, of course, is it it's hopeful, right? It's a hopeful message. It's like, hey, you know what? If we all work together, we can create the world we want. And so I think that's important, especially for young people. And um, in my college classes, sometimes students will say to me, you know, I've, I've been studying environmental science and it's just so overwhelming. I get so depressed, right? And I understand that. I feel that way sometimes too. But what I'm trying to bring to them is a hopeful message. Hey, but here's what you can do about it. You know, and I think that younger people especially need that. They they need to feel hopeful and they need to um, allow that to motivate them to, um, you know, to take action and be thoughtful. And um, so I think that's an important piece of it is to not just talk about everything that's you know, wrong or, you know, uh, you know, trending in a negative direction, but to say, well, we can turn this around. You've had such a rich career, just from the examples that you share in the book, and you've done so much. You've spoken with so many people. When you look over your shoulder and look back on the trail you've left behind, what do you see? I had a great time doing all this work. Uh, So I see that. I mean, I always felt like really um, into my work. You know, this is really good stuff and I I like doing it. Um, And I would say that I may not have always been aware of all of the consequences or everything going on in a sense, but that didn't keep me from just diving in and trying, you know. So so I think it's been a great career path, very meaningful. Um, Yeah, it's just energizing. It's really energizing to take action and see something good happen. I mean, there can't be anything more energizing than that. And I wish more people had that experience of work. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people are kind of trudging along, uh, you know, in their work trying to make money and it's not very energizing. Well, this kind of thing, if you tackle an issue uh, and, and you work with others that you know, are with you on that. Um, I love the teamwork aspect of it. You know, if you start working on an issue and you get other people involved and pretty soon you have a team of people involved, that's very energizing too. So I think um, this is a great uh, career path, honestly, and there's a great need uh, for people to uh, come together and take action. 
What's next for you? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. So I continue to do advocacy work, which I'm really enjoying, continuing to teach, and I want to do more writing. Um, I've really enjoyed the writing part. And um, it's hard, though, to kind of set aside the time for that when you're active on things. But I would like to do more of that as well. And I want to meet more people. I want to, um, it's been hard, you know, with the pandemic and, and uh, travel has not been uh, possible too much. But I'm hoping that when these variants die down, and I, I hope there'll be more uh, speaking engagements and more chance to just engage with um, people who are trying to do these things. So I, I see a lot of, I see an endless supply of interesting things um, out there to do and hope that I'll be able to do as many of these things as I can. Susan, thank you so much for introducing us to your book, uh, for t- talking about how people can begin to become advocates on their own. You do make it very easy. You make it feel safe. You make it feel um, empowering and it's not impossible. And the human approach that you take in this book and and the very, it's like you, you are there, you know, every step of the way. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure to chat with you about this. And um, I'm just really happy to hear your feedback about the book. And I hope that others enjoy it. Uh, as much as you have. To learn more about Susan, her book, her public workshops, and her consulting work, click on the link in the show notes. Susan's book is a wonderful resource. And as I mentioned during our conversation, working through this book is like having Susan next to you, helping you think through things like how to frame your message, how to plan your strategy, and how to work with media and the public. In the resource section, Susan shares samples of legislative testimonies and a collection of communication documents. Here you'll find an example of a press release, guidance on how to create an FAQ for your initiative, and an example of what a fact sheet might look like. There is more in this book that can be explained in one conversation. If you're looking for a book about advocacy, consider adding Susan's book to the list of resources you are considering. Thank you for joining us today. See you next time. Talaterra is a podcast for and about independent educators working in natural resource fields and environmental education. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and colleagues. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Tanya Marion. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Carbon Connection, a rebroadcast of the Talaterra podcast, a show about environmental professionals leading independent initiatives in communities. This week, it was an honor for me, Tanya Marion, to share an episode from my own podcast. Today's episode was produced by Inma J. Lopez, alongside Mary Pafford, Melissa Fisher, and Jen Ankenman. Special thanks to Mary Pafford and Melissa Fisher for sharing this episode with us. 
Our editor is Tanya Marion, and our founding producer is Jennifer Meyer Schwa. To listen to other shows in the network, like The Carbon Collective, where members of The Carbon Almanac share their thoughts and experiences working on this project, visit thecarbonalmanac.org slash podcasts.